previously on Here's What I've Heard. At the end of the day, the judge decided that the fighting needed to end. The boys needed a long-term home, a place that would provide stability, warmth, and food on the table. And according to that judge, the Milton Hershey School was the place for Jerry and Paul to find those things. So, Bertha packed the boys up. She piled them into the car and drove eight miles down the road to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And then my grandmother said, okay, well, uh, we're leaving now. And I, I turned around to leave with her and she said, she said, no, you're staying here. And I said, what? I said, what, we're staying here? And she said, you're staying here forever. Word of warning. This episode of Here's What I've Heard contains descriptions of abuse that may not be suitable for some listeners. I live in Austin, Texas now, but I grew up in Pennsylvania. Just like my grandparents, I'm used to towns that abruptly turn into farmland. I know what it means to savor the summer, and I never look twice at a horse and buggy. On one of my visits home last year, I arranged a trip to Anvil, the town where my grandfather grew up. My dad came with me, and together we met my uncle at the cemetery where Jerry, Linda, and Robin are buried. It was a Saturday morning, and aside from a few work trucks, chirping birds, and the occasional train whistle blaring across town, it was remarkably quiet. I asked my Uncle Paul where he wanted to do our interview. He flashed me a wry smile and said, Why not right here next to Mom and Dad, sweetheart? So we sat down there next to their graves and took advantage of the quiet calm of our surroundings. My dad stood nearby, jumping into the conversation every once in a while. After catching up a bit, I asked Paul what he remembered about being taken to the Milton Hershey School. He and his brother had been ordered by a judge to stay there indefinitely when it became clear that the Kleins and Seibert families could not come to a consensus over who should care for them. I don't actually remember arriving there. I don't remember court, but I remember the first day we were there. That second, quieter voice is my dad, Jerry. I remember that day. What do you remember that? Hmm? What? Tell me. The first day. This is the saddest story I've ever heard. <laughs> this makes me so sad. It's all right. It was, um, Grandma took us, and we were standing there, and, uh, At this point, my dad stared off into the distance, past the rows and rows of gravestones laid out in front of us. He told me this story many times, but here in the quasi-presence of his parents, the tale seemed stuck in his throat.
Do you want me to tell them? Yeah. Um, you guys had packed suitcases and stuff, and he thought that they were going on vacation. I told Paul about that first day, when my father thought he was going on vacation with his grandmother. But really, they were being left at the Milton Hershey School. They were just four and five years old. Um, and then when when it was time to go, she said, okay, well, we're going to go. And, you know, I don't know if it was both of you. Was he there too? Yeah, well, we started to walk out with her. And she turned around and said, no, you're staying here forever. Oh, shit. And someone said, no, well, at least until 12th grade. You know, or something like, like made that. made a joke about and it. Then, and then we, then we started to cry or whatever. And then she, uh, they left. And then, like, Mrs. Dronesfield was, like, standing there, and I was like, well, they were like, oh, aren't they so cute, and blah, 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 and they were standing there with our clothes, and uh, I was like, well, like, I'm standing there with my arms, mm -hmm. and she's like, well, you're not going to need those, so just... Standing there with your what? Standing there with the clothes. Yeah. And she's like, you're not going to need those, so just put them away, or just, I said, well, where? And she's like, anywhere. Hmm. I was like... Milton Hershey is well known for his chocolate, but few people are aware of his philanthropic work and how Milton and his wife Catherine, or Kitty as she was better known, were dedicated to improving the lives of children. Because Milton's family moved around a lot, he attended seven different schools, but never advanced past the fourth grade. Once married, Milton and Kitty were unable to have children. It was primarily due to these factors that the couple was led to build a school for orphan boys. The Hershey Industrial School was officially established on November 15, 1909. In 1910, the first 10 students came to the school. In the deed of trust that established the school and still guides its administrators today, eligible boys are described as follows. The manager shall from time to time receive and admit to the school poor, healthy, white male orphans. The term orphan in this deed designates a child whose father is deceased. Additionally, the school gave preference to boys from the following locations. First, to those born in the counties of Dauphin, Lancaster, and Lebanon, state of Pennsylvania. Second, to those born elsewhere in Pennsylvania. Third, to those born elsewhere in the United States. On June 8, 1938, Edgar Guest invited Milton on his radio show, It Can Be Done. During the interview, they talked about the school. So, Milton S. Hershey, the builder of an ideal town, continues to build, to build happiness into the hearts of boys, happiness that is the foundation for sturdy, worthy, useful citizenship. The unconquerable, unselfish spirit of Milton S. Hershey has brought fulfillment of his most fantastic dreams and proved once more it can be done. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Milton S. Hershey, the builder. Thank you, Eddie, guest. Good. Evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Hershey, how long has the Hershey Industrial School been in operation? Since 1909. Now, 
Can you tell me uh, what has happened to some of the boys you've trained there? Well, one is treasurer of the trust company, two are in the bank, and there are others in responsible positions. You see, we follow the boys through until we see that they have jobs. Tell me, just how do the opportunities for the boy of today compare with those of your day? That is, these boys coming out of your school. <clears throat> Most of them have better chances for character building and education than ever before. <clears throat> Perhaps they don't have the chance to make as much money as some individuals have made, but they will lead to happier lives. Milton S. Hershey, Household Finance, and I humbly salute you and your courage which carried you through to success. And we add our tribute to that of thousands of others for the great work you are doing with boys. Congratulations, Milton S. Hershey. In 1951, the school changed its name to the Milton Hershey School, and in 1968, the school was racially integrated. Female students began arriving in 1977. But before all these changes, way back in March of 1929, boys at the school were made responsible for daily chores in the house and the barn. All orphans admitted to the school shall be instructed in the several branches of a sound education, agriculture, horticulture, gardening, such mechanical trades, and handicrafts, so that when he leaves the school on the completion of the period for which he is to remain, he may be able to support himself. You know, when I say do the dishes, people don't understand. Doing the dishes for a family of four is not the same as doing the dishes for a family of 18 <laughs> to 20 people. So if that puts a picture in your head... Um, but we would do the dishes, and then we uh, we would go to school during the school year. And uh, on Saturdays we had extra chores. So, and then uh, in the afternoon you eat lunch, and you have to do the dishes again. <laughs> and then senior division was the barn. They go out and milk cows in the morning, about four thirty in the morning. Go out and milk the cows, and then come in and eat breakfast do the dishes, then go to school. Then after school, you come home, milk the cows, come back in, eat dinner, do the dishes. Students haven't been required to milk cows since 1989, but they are still required to perform chores. And although the school's website now states that daily devotions and an education in the Judeo-Christian faith are part of the curriculum, the deed of trust suggests a more secular approach. The school shall be non-sectarian, but the moral and religious training of the scholars shall be properly looked after and cared for by the managers. No favoritism shall be shown by the managers to any particular sect or creed. Each scholar shall be taught to speak the truth at all times, and each and every scholar shall be thoroughly trained to habits of economy and industry. Do you remember the preacher asking us to come up and say something? If you couldn't quite hear that, my dad said, I don't remember them ever doing that. We were in church in Milton Hershey, and the preacher asked the, uh, all the little kids if they have a question about God. And me being who I am, raised my hand, 
And I said, well, if God, so, if God loves children so much, why did he take our parents? And I remember the preacher looking at me and saying, well, obviously God needed your parents more than you do. And that was the defining moment when I decided that I was not going to be a Christian. So, anyway. For my Uncle Paul, that was just one of many shaky interactions he had with both students and staff at the Milton Hershey School, although none were quite as turbulent as those he had with his various house parents. At Milton Hershey, an average of 16 students lived in one house with a house mother and a house father. If those house parents had children, their sons and daughters also lived inside the house. When they first arrived, Jerry and Paul were placed with Mr. and Mrs. Dronesfield. Just a note before we move on, that the house parents mentioned throughout these interviews are no longer living, and therefore we weren't able to interview them. I remember them as being really good people. They were nice, yeah. They weren't very caring, but they were, they were nice. They did their job without being an ass. And I mean, I, they weren't like cuddly or anything, but they were like if like there wasn't like no hugging or anything like that. No, it's, it's like like a teacher who gave a who gave a damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but the, you don't hug the kids or you don't no emotion, no nothing. And who are your other house parents? Uh. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they kept transferring the problem. <laughs> hey. I was short, I was small. I got picked on a lot. And I never did play well with others. I I've never have and I probably never will. Muffleys were probably the toughest house parents I had. They were um, they were very very strict. Um, they they basically acted like like we. I don't can't say that we didn't deserve it, but they didn't. They acted like like it was a job to them, and they. Like if we stepped out of line any little bit, they would be right there to crack us. And and uh, they were towards the end of their retirement, so they were very very old school. At the time, at that time, they were very old school. So it was like if you did something bad, you really you really got it. So they were basically the strictest and the meanest. They were actually I considered them mean. Um, they. They were racist because at the time we had newly brought in African American kids and they treated the one guy really badly and um, you know I just I just they I just thought they were plain out mean and then we had the Walkers who were um, who were the first African American house parents there Mr Walker I considered probably the best house parent I had. He was a very intelligent man. He, uh, he, 
he basically told us if we screw up, he, he goes, if you do good, I'm with you 100%. If you screw up, my foot's going to be behind you 100%. And uh, he, um, he, was, he encouraged us all to uh, do well in school, and he went on and got his doctorate degree. And uh, just, uh, just a good man. Although the boys were housed together during their first few years at Milton Hershey, they were separated when Paul entered seventh grade. Jerry's grades had started to slip, and the school administrators decided that Paul was to blame. If, in the opinion of the managers, any orphan admitted to the school should become insubordinate or be guilty of vice or crime or become an unfit companion for the others, he may be removed or expelled from the school by the managers. You had the walkers for a brief time. Yeah, I had, uh, I was in Liberty, Lenape, Buchanan, and Greenfield. These are all the names of Milton Hershey student homes. When they first transferred me into the intermediate division, they put me in, the, in a, a unit, a house that was Oh, what, here to the building away from you? Yeah, it was literally up the hill. But I wasn't allowed to visit him. But you, were you allowed to visit him? We weren't allowed to visit each other, really. Because uh, they just didn't do that. They just, like, Every, you didn't go from student home to student home. And just no. Guys. So it was like if you were both on the playground at the same time kind of thing. But it, at school we would. Oh, okay. Yeah. At school we were at recess and stuff together. Mm-hmm. But I... Uh, I remember somebody telling me that we were actually, that you and I were actually an experiment. I never heard that, but... That they wanted to see what it would be like to separate brothers. Well, they, they told me it was because they felt that you were a bad influence on me. I was a bad influence on you. Why do you Even think the opposite? <laughs> No, because uh, no, I, I I always thought that I needed my bigger brother. Well, it wasn't it was it wasn't that you were bad influences. Just that like it was like you know you were always in fights and stuff. So I was like, oh well, yeah, I was I was always stressed. Like you would, but you but. So, like, when you transferred to Greenfields, um, I was in eighth grade and you were in seventh, and my grades, my grades did drop a lot, but it wasn't because of you. It was just because of that I didn't get the stuff. It was eighth grade was my worst. My Uncle Paul was picked on a lot at school. He often looked to his brother for help, because as he remembers it, even the house parents that my father remembers fondly didn't seem to be on his side. And the walkers were pigs anyway, so. Well, I like Mr. Walker, but he, there was one more semester left, and he's like, if you can get your grades up this semester, I'll still, because he had promised me that he would take me out for a banana split or something if I made distinguished honor roll, and I said, but I'm too far gone now, because it was just, and it, and it had nothing to do with him at all. It, but they seemed to think so. so. They, they seemed to delight in 
Mrs. Walker is actually encouraging some of the other guys to pick on me. Uh, you mean the house parents? Yeah. I remember sitting at the table eating and feeling something on my head and looking up and one of the boys dumped pepper in my eyes. Which of course, obviously, frickin' hurts. freaking yelled mm -hmm. that this burned I uh, looked for support to them and they were laughing it's hard to understand why the brothers have such different memories from their time living under the same roof and according to Paul things didn't get much better when he was moved to a new home and then there was gray you remember gray when Milton Hershey House parents needed to take time off, sometimes teachers or other hired individuals stepped in to watch the boys. Mr. Gray, whose full name I haven't been able to track down, was one of those substitutes. He would, he actually, he would actually come down to the shower room at the end of the day when everybody took showers, and he would stand there and watch. And then he would say, you know, clean that thing, soap, soap that up for you, you know, soap and he'd make us sit there and soap up our privates while he watched. And then we had to dry off and file out past him with our arms up. And he'd spray under our arms with deodorant and then he'd get you between the legs with a spray can or deodorant or he'd reach down and grab you. And, and he did that to Bunch of kids. Yeah, every every kid in the unit was in a line, mm -hmm. and whoever he picked to grab that day is, or several kids that he grabbed that day. But. And you were the only one that complained. Nobody else. Did anybody come forward with you? No, nobody came forward with me. No, not at all. I think they were scared. I mean. He he. He hated, he hated me with a passion. Uh, he had, uh, we all, ha we all had chores to do. And for the first several weekends that he, that I was there, he assigned me to clean his apartment. And he would come in to the apartment while I was cleaning and saying stuff and putting his arm around me and yada yada all that shit and I it felt wrong and I pitched a bitch and he didn't like I guess he didn't like being denied and when I complained and got him fired, or at least moved to someone else, somewhere else, I was told by one of the administrators, I forget who, that I was a terrible, terrible child, that I had 
made up stuff to get a very, very good man fired. Unfortunately, my uncle's allegations are not unique. Representatives declined to give me an interview, but the school has been the focus of several molestation cases throughout the years. Even as recently as 2016, a 34-year-old house parent named Randy Fies was charged with inappropriately touching an 11-year-old girl. NBC10 News in Philadelphia reported at the time that the school contacted authorities immediately after becoming aware of the allegation and cooperated with law enforcement. Several years earlier, the school paid $3 million to compensate five former students who were sexually molested, admitting that the allegations were true. Around the same time, Charles Coons II pled guilty to molesting 17 boys at Milton Hershey School. We had unlimited access to students from 1985 to 2000, since his mother worked there as a relief house parent. According to MyStateLine.com, most of the molestations took place too long ago to be prosecuted, and one of the victims later died of a drug overdose. Coons is now serving a 35 to 100-year sentence. A spokeswoman for the school said that they were, quote, brokenhearted by what happened here. Not every memory from Paul and Jerry's time at Milton Hershey is a bad one. My dad has often told me about one night, when they were young and still sharing a room, when my Uncle Paul was having trouble falling asleep. Hey, Jerry, he said quietly, fishing to see if my dad was still awake. What, came the answer. There was a pause. And then Paul responded, nothing. Several seconds later, Paul spoke up again. Hey, Jerry? What, Paul? My dad asked again. And again, Paul replied, nothing. They went back and forth like this once or twice more, until my dad snapped back, what, Paul? And you better say something. Something, croaked Paul. Do you remember any friends that you had there? Anybody that you remember? I remember Joey Campbell. You remember Joey Campbell? Yeah. Joey was... He was, his, he was in his own realm. And probably the only reason I remember Joey Campbell is because, do you remember Halloween, the gym at, at the, inter, at the uh, junior division with the Jones Fields? Yeah. Joey Campbell got Superman in costume. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. You remember how high the walkway was yeah. to the bottom? I was standing at the bottom, and Joey Campbell in his Superman outfit, and it had to have been 20 feet. Had to have been 20 feet because of the basketball nets and everything were in there. More. I mean, it, I mean, it had to be more. I mean, they had rope climbs. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, Joey Campbell got on the rail at the top of this thing and jumped off. And thinking he could fly. Thinking he could fly, because he had a Superman outfit. And of course, where did he land? On my foot! <laughs> Remember that two, yeah. I had two broken toes. Yeah, he, uh, that he, story went, that story went around all school. As a kid jumped off. Because we were all so scared of falling over that railing. And here's uh, a kid that just gets up on there and just jumps off. <laughs> yeah, jo Joey was, he couldn't sit, he rocked all the time. But anyway, 
Yeah, I remember Joey. For all its faults, the Milton Hershey School has been a haven of opportunity for over 100 years. In 1929, Milton Hershey himself told the Brooklyn Eagle, quote, those boys must grow up with the feeling that they have a real home. I asked Jerry and Paul if they thought he succeeded. I remember going back the first time and I just sat there for like two hours just crying. And then um, after a while you get used to it, but it was like, um, you didn't really think about it because there was a lot of kids there with the same situation. We didn't talk about it as little kids, but you made a lot of friendships and, and you kind of had each other, you know, to support each other. As an adult, looking back on it, it, it provided a steady situation for everybody. Like you weren't worrying where your next meal was coming from and you weren't worrying where your clothes were coming from and you had a place to live and you had a bed to sleep in and you just were not worried at all. Like I see kids now with in foster situations where or they're adopted and the parents start arguing and they're worried, you know, are they gonna get a divorce? Am I gonna go to another house? In Milton Hershey, it was like, it's like, it doesn't matter if the house parents got an argument or they left, you just got another set of house parents. And it was like, but you always, it was always a steady place to be, you know? And you never had to worry about anything and uh, as far as I was concerned, they took good care of me and they took good care of everybody. Um, so just looking back on it with all my aunts and uncles and how they got divorced and how I wished that someone would have taken me. When you see that they got divorced and everything, it was like, well, maybe that really wasn't the way to go. So in Milton Hershey, it was like, a just like steady situation and made a lot of good friends and you know. In 1918, just three years after the untimely death of his wife, Milton gave his entire personal fortune to the school, thousands of acres of land and controlling interest in the company, which was worth 60 million dollars at the time. To this day, the Milton Hershey School is one of the wealthiest schools in the world, with over 12 billion dollars in assets. Mr. Hershey was involved in the school's operations until he died at the age of 88 in 1945. Mr. Hershey, I'd like to think when life is done that I had filled some needed post. But here and there I paid my fare with something more than idle post, that I had taken gifts divine, the breath of life and manhood fine, and tried to use them now and then in service for my fellow men. I'd hate to think when life is through that I had lived my round of years a useless kind that leaves behind no record in this veil of tears, that I had wasted all my days by treading only selfish ways and that this world would be the same if it had never heard my name. I'd like to think when life is done 
that here and there there shall remain a happier spot, which might have not existed had I toiled for gain, that someone's cheery voice and smile shall prove that I had been worthwhile, that I had paid with something fine my debt to God for life divine. It's like Jerry said, uh, it may not have been the best as far as a family life or anything like that, or it may not be the best for very young kids going in there and having no emotional connection to anyone. But overall, given our family, it was the best for us. We got a top-notch education. Uh, I got my love of reading. My Uncle Paul's voice trailed off, and he thought for a second. He never said the word but, but he doesn't have to. It's hanging in the air between us. This is radio, though, so I'll say it for him. He got his love of reading, but... If, if I could go back being that age and knowing what I know now, I would not have left Pratt Energy. That's next time on Here's What I've Heard. Here's What I've Heard is produced by Courtney Abood and Craig Brown. Musical direction was provided by Julia Cannon, featuring Bobby Steinfeld on piano. To be a patron and gain access to exclusive content, including original census documents from the Milton Hershey School, Visit patreon.com slash here's what I've heard. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash here's what I've heard. Have comments or questions about here's what I've heard? Know someone related to this story? Contact us by emailing the team at here's what I've heard dot com.